This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Oh, that was kind of short. That's, yeah, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I want to say, first of all, just how much uh, of, a, of a delight, how much joy I've had uh, spending the last few days with all of you. It really has just been a blessing to me. And I, it, it reminds me, I was talking to one of the guys this morning, just about how much a gift it is that we have this, this partnership of churches that from across the miles and at this point across the oceans, there are believers who, who love the same things that we love. They love the Lord Jesus. They love encountering him. They love studying his word. They love the doctrines of grace. And across the world, literally, there are believers in, in sovereign grace churches that are connected to one another. and We don't always get to see each other. But just to have a, a little glimpse of that over the last couple of days, getting to be with you, um, has just been a joy. So on behalf of all those churches and on behalf of the Texas region of churches and, and also just on my own behalf, I just want to thank you for the gift that you are, the joy that you are to each other, and for your leaning into God's Word uh, this weekend. So uh, if you would, open your Bibles for the final time in this retreat to the Gospel of John, <laughs> John chapter 7, and verse 37 A couple of years ago, you, you may have seen it in the news, there was a freak blizzard in Texas. Uh, and, and we don't have blizzards. We don't even barely have snow. It doesn't even freeze very often. So th this was truly unusual. There were, there were several days in a row where the temperature was, it hovered around three degrees. And that's normal for many, many people in the world. For Texas, that's like the end of the world. That, that's, that's pretty much what happens when the world ends. Right before that, there's a great freeze. There's an ice age I mean, in Texas mine. And people <clears throat> were radically unprepared. It was all kind of crazy stuff happened. I remember <laughs> nobody in Texas has uh, street plows. Like, there are no street plows. Uh, the city doesn't have street plows. So every street was covered with ice. You couldn't get anywhere. The cars were stuck where they were. But people needed stuff, so you had to walk to a grocery store, which somehow got open. So I remember going to the grocery store, and I'm standing in line with all these Texas people. Thankfully, from when I lived in the north, I still somewhere in my closet had some decent winter clothes. And I'm there, and I'm looking at these poor people. I mean, they are covered in, like, blankets. They have their, their workout gear. They're just standing in the cold outside waiting to get into the grocery store, you know. It was, it was, a, it was unusual for Texas. And stuff began to happen. Uh, because of the cold, obviously the, the electricity began to be overwhelmed with heating things, so the electricity began to shut down. And because that happened, the water purifying plants uh, that purifies the water began to shut down as well. So certain communities were also without water. So they were without electricity, then they were without water. There would just be little drips of water uh, coming in, and that, that began to be a, a, a real problem. Because you can live with a little cold for a little while, but without, without water... Uh, you start to experience some, some real troubling situations that were trying to be figured out uh, by various people. What, what do we do with this situation and that situation, you can imagine? Well, th the problem was not that there wasn't enough water. There's plenty of water. Believe it or not, in Texas, there is plenty of water. There's plenty of water, but it couldn't get to the people. It couldn't get to them because the, the, it, it couldn't flow the way it normally would flow. And, and, and sometimes I think we need to study how is it that this fountain that we began the retreat talking about, 
how is it that it gets to God's people? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We talk about wanting to thirst after God, and we should, and we want to encounter God's presence, and we should. But have you ever wondered, well, how does God come to you? What, what's, whose job is it to make sure that it can get there? Because there might be all the water, even in a great state like yours, there's tons of water. But what if it can't get to where you are? What if it can't get to you? It's there, it's available, and actually a lot of it is for you, but it can't get to you. Well, this morning, I, I want to talk to the way God gets himself to us. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's how God gets his presence to us. Sometimes, because we live in a day and age, and I'll talk about this in a bit, that is, has a, a, a wrong view of spirituality, and they kind of feel like they can be in touch with God, and I think really what they mean is I'm in touch with some emotional experience, and I describe that as God. But the real God gets to people a particular way, called the Holy Spirit. And so since we've been talking about the presence of God, thirsting after his presence, being with him, and how he deals with the problem of sin, especially in the personal work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, I, I, I want to talk about now, how, how does that God get to us? So let's read this passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and verse 37. Remember, this is God's word. It has the power, even on this last day of the retreat, to transform our lives. Verse 37, John chapter 7 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Lord, bless the preaching and the believing of your word. I want to make four observations about the Holy Spirit based on this passage. This passage is a wonderful summary of what we could read many places in the scriptures, but it provides a, a helpful brief summation of that teaching, and I, I want to talk about it. This is something that perhaps you might have studied historically. If you're one of the parents here, you've looked at this, or maybe you've never thought much about the Holy Spirit. We sing songs, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and you've wondered, well, what what is that? What does he do? I don't know a lot about him. Well, that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk a little bit about this person of the Holy Spirit. First, a couple of things that just maybe help us set our, our framework, our understanding that maybe you haven't thought about this before. Our God, the God that is God, exists in a very unique way. He is one God, but he exists in three persons. Three persons that are distinct, even though they are united in essence, he is one God. Very, very mysterious and yet profound situation called the Trinity. The Trinity. We are Trinitarian. It's what we believe. That's the God who is God. Now, you are one person and one being. 
You might think you're not, but you are. You're one person and you're one being. God is one being and three persons. And those three persons aren't just modes that he exists in, like I'm a father and a husband and a brother. No, no, these are three distinct persons that all are the being of God. In other words, God's a lot more complex than we are. And that's a good thing we'd want him to be, right? We'd want God to be more complex. If God was exactly like me, I'd be like, well, that's kind of a bummer. I don't want God. I want God to be more impressive. Well, he is. Three persons, one God. And what Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. He's a person. Just like the Father is a person, the Son is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. And he has a very particular job in salvation. The Father had a job to do, the Son had a job to do, and the Holy Spirit has a job to do. And they all do that all together, but they have a distinct role in the way they work towards God's people. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the person that is the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit is not just God's power. It's it's not just sort of God's form. He's spiritual. No, it is his own person. His own person that is one in being with God the Father and God the Son, and he has a job, and it's an amazing job. And so what Jesus is talking about here is that person. So I want to make four observations based on this passage and really based on the New Testament teaching of the Holy Spirit for how we can think about this person that gets God to us. This person that gets God, this person who is God, who gets God to us. That's his particular job. There's a lot of components of that, but I might say it that way. He gets God to us. All right, first observation. The Holy Spirit is given to those who thirst. He's given to those who thirst. Now, we preached on this on Thursday night, but I want to reemphasize this point here. Notice there in your Bibles, it says that Jesus stood up on the last day of the great feast. This is a feast of the Jews. They've come together, and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, and I'm I'm making a point of these kind of statements on this retreat because I think there is a danger in our age of presuming on God, presuming that God will make everything work out all right in the end. But but no, there is something that people must do to draw near to God. It It doesn't in itself save them, but it acknowledges their need for God. And so Jesus says, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And there, there are people who deny that they are thirsty. There are many people, all kinds of people say, I'm, I'm, I'm not thirsty. Actually, I remember when I was a kid, one of these memories you have that you'll have lots of memories right now, but you'll forget a lot of them. And, and one of them you'll, you'll remember, it'll stick with you. Some of these images will stick with you. Maybe some of these at the retreat will. I remember when I was very young, I would play outside and we had a big backyard and I'd run around and do all kinds of wild stuff and I'd get a little thirsty and I'd come inside and I have this distinctive memory from when I was a kid and I can even feel the arrogance of the thought in my like little nine-year-old brain. I remember coming in the house and thinking, I don't need as much water as other people. And it's so vivid. It's like it must have been such a proud thought. It like imprinted itself on my brain. And I thought, I don't need. So I would get a little half cup down it. And I had this thought like, I am the man. I don't need all these people with water. Imagine back then if there had been the kind of water bottles people drink today. I would have been like, I'm the greatest person in the world. I don't need the kind of water that these people need. I'm a half a cup guy. I'm a half a cup guy. 
Now, as you get older, you think, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. There's nothing impressive. There's no, they're not handing out medals for least water drunk on the race. Amazing. No, 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 you're dumb. That's what you are. You're dumb. That's what happens because when you don't drink enough water, you get dehydrated and it's terrible. And I don't think you need those missile launcher ones that everybody has, but more than a half a cup. Here's the deal. We all do that a little bit with God. We don't like admitting that we're thirsty. We are kind of like me at nine years old. I don't need as much God as other people. There's some needy God people. There's some like God people. And then there's me. I'm good. I'm a half a cup guy. I got my verse in the morning. I'm good. I get a sermon now and then. I'm good. I pay attention once in a while. I'm good. I can live on less water, less God, than other people. The Bible doesn't commend people who think they can live less on God than other people. It convicts those people. It would come to you or me and say, you're not more impressive because you're not thirsting for God. You're less impressive. You're dumb. You're supposed to drink in deeply of God. You're supposed to admit, I'm thirsty. So as we leave this retreat, one of the things I want to urge you to do is maintain the thirst of your soul. You're not meant to be a person who can reside on one drink, one deep drink of God and then think, that's great. That'll last me till next year. No, we're, we're meant to be drinking of God. That means admitting we're thirsty for God. And so Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, the Holy Spirit is given to those who thirst. He's not given to the self-confident. He's not given to the little nine-year-old who says, ah, I don't need as much God as everybody else. No, he's given to those who thirst, who are willing to admit it comes right against the self-confidence of our culture, the kind of thinking that says, I can handle life on my own. I'm independent. The Bible says, no, you're not. You might pretend like you are. Why don't you admit that you're thirsty for God? Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, how many people said, I, I'm not, I'm good. Help these other people who might be thirsty. No, he says, if anyone thirsts, the Holy Spirit is given to those who thirst. First observation. Second observation. The Holy Spirit is given to anyone who comes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given to anyone who comes to Jesus. Now, there's two ways to understand this point. It's given to anyone who comes to Jesus. It's only given to those who believe. He is only given to those who believe in Jesus. Did you see that in the passage? If anyone thirsts, what does he say? Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says this about the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who, again, believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, we're going to do a little Bible work right now. Look down at your Bibles and notice all the connections between the Holy Spirit and Jesus in this passage. You see all this connection? Look down in your Bibles. You could, this is kind of like Bible study. You could do this at home. <laughs> Look down in your Bibles. Notice this. If anyone thirsts, let him come where? To God in general? Let him go out into nature and feel God? Let him meditate deeply? Let him connect with his ancestors? Let him connect to a saint of the church? No. If anyone thirsts, 
Where do you come? To Jesus. There's the first connection. Then he says, whoever believes, whoever believes in who? God in general? A, a saint? A priest? Um, a, a religious background? Attends a certain church? You go to a pastor? No, whoever believes in Jesus, as the scripture has said. Then he keeps going. Now this he said, John comments about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. And then more, we'll get to this later, because the Spirit couldn't be given unless Jesus was glorified. So there's at least four connections in this very brief verse. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, is given only to those who believe in Jesus. God the Holy Spirit, the only Spirit that is God, is given only to those who believe in Jesus. Now, now this, this comes as an important point in the day and age, which is present right now, where spirituality is somewhat more popular than it used to be. When, when me and Mike were growing up, spirituality wasn't as cool as it is now. It was kind of nerdy, because you were into like real things, real stuff. It was more pragmatic. Now, now it's kind of cool to be spiritual. A lot of supernatural shows, people even get into some dangerous stuff, like witchcraft kind of stuff. It's, it's even people who are like positive. They want, I just want to be in touch with the spiritual man. I want to be in touch with spiritual things. I'm a spiritual person. I bet if you went to a local college campus and you asked them, would you describe yourself as a spiritual person? There'd be a number of people who'd say, yeah. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Here's the danger. The only spirit, now there's a lot of spirits. There's evil spirits. The only spirit that is God is only given to those who believe in Jesus. So I don't doubt that there's some spiritual people in this world. But if they're not connected to Jesus, the only spirits they're connected to are evil ones. It's a dangerous thing that I, I wanted to point out to some of you because you're coming into an age where I think spirituality is it's a little more popular and it sounds kind of Christian to be spiritual. But here's what the Bible says. God the Son is the only location where people can get God the Spirit. Unless you believe in Jesus, unless you confess him as your Savior and Lord, unless you cling to him, spirituality is not knowing God the Spirit at all. And this might be true even of kind of positive people, that they, they feel spiritual when they're around certain things. They're like, man, I, I went down to an orphanage. Man, I just, the spirit of mercy was just everywhere there, man. I, I just felt spiritual while I was there. Okay, but do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? I, I don't know, man. I just feel spiritual. I'm doing good to people. Well, then you don't know the spirit that is God. You might know some other spirit called make yourself feel better about yourself, but you don't know the spirit that is God. The only spirit that is God, the Holy Spirit, he only comes through one person, and that's through knowing Jesus Christ. And th that's an important warning, I think. Because if you go to college or you're in some class sometime or you talk to somebody, they want to talk about being spiritual and you don't hear anything about Jesus, then you can be sure whatever spirituality they're into, it's not the Spirit of God. It also means, though, that the Holy Spirit is given to anyone who believes in Jesus. This is the positive side of this. The Holy Spirit is only given to those who believe in Jesus, but the Spirit is given to anyone who believes in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given to those who come to Jesus. Now, this is good news. 
This is good news. It, it means that God, the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit that is God, just as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. He's not less than God. He is just as much God. God, the Spirit, is given to anyone who believes in Jesus. Do you see that in the passage? You see, do you see the absence of any conditions? Look down at your Bibles. Who receives the Holy Spirit? It's not the super mature. It's not the old. It's not only the Jewish or only the Greeks. It's not the rich or the powerful or the smart or the athletic that only receive the Holy Spirit. It's not only people who are into math or only people who are into English. It's not only people who grew up in a certain church situation or only people who got saved later in life. No, it, it's given to anyone who comes to Jesus. Jesus gives, if we can put it this way, and God the Father sends, if we can put it that way, the, the Holy Spirit to anyone who believes. Now that is, that is fantastic news. That, is, that means that you, if you are thirsty and you come to Jesus, you qualify. You automatically qualify. It'd be like if you applied for a job and they said, what experience do you have? None. Are you good at this? No. Do you know things? No. Do you know anybody that knows things? Well, I know Jesus. You're in. This is good news. This is good news. God, the God who is God, God the Spirit, comes to anyone who believes in Jesus. That means if you are here and you are 12 years old, the God who runs the universe is given to you if you believe in Jesus. It's not disqualified by age. A 12-year-old can encounter the God of the universe, come to them in the person of the Holy Spirit, because it's not based on age. It's not based on maturity. It's not based on knowledge. It's based on believing in Jesus. So if you are 12 years old, you can receive God himself come to live in you because you have come to Jesus and you are thirsty for him. It also means that if you've neglected this topic for 40 years, <laughs> the only condition for crying out for more of God is remembering, I believe in Jesus. And Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks for him. Now, maybe the faucet's been turned off, so to speak, for a while. You haven't been thinking about meeting with God or thirsting after God. Good news. It's still the same condition. You come to the Lord Jesus, and based on him, you lay claim on this truth that anyone who comes to Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, I want to make this point even more emphatically. It's not just that any kind of person without qualification can receive the Holy Spirit. It is that everyone who comes to Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. It's not just that, well, it's, it's good that there aren't qualifications, but once you come, you, you never know if you're going to stay good enough to receive the Holy Spirit. No, those who believe in Jesus receive the Spirit of God. They receive him. They receive God himself. If we can use the analogy, they have a pipe that comes into their soul that is always wide open. The Holy Spirit brings God to his people. And everyone who believes in Jesus 
has that faucet always available. Always. Always. Without exception. There is no lesser receivers of the Spirit Christians. There are no people who say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not the spiritual kind. No, no. No, a Christian is a Christian because they've received the Spirit of God. This is good news. This is good news. The Spirit is available to anyone who comes to Jesus by faith. That means you, in your weakness, me and my need, in spite of our former life of sinfulness, that when we come to the Lord Jesus, the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, this is and why I think it's, it's helpful to talk about this passage when we're generally talking about the presence of God. The presence of God might seem kind of vague. It might seem like a cloud that he sends your direction. But the Spirit of God is a person. It is God coming to you. A person coming to you. It's not sending positive God thoughts in your direction or keeping an eye on you. No, it's God coming to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who believes in Jesus has that good news. Third observation. The Holy Spirit is given in abundance. The Holy Spirit is given in abundance. Look down at your Bibles and notice the image Jesus uses. Out of his heart, Jesus says, will flow rivers of living water. Now, the, the thing I want to emphasize here is the, the abundance. It's a, a river of living water. It, it's not a trickle. It's not a reservoir. It's not one of those old pumps you got out in front of the house. No, it is a river. And if you live in a city... Having a river in the city is a really good news back then. That's a really big deal. And to have a river that is the Holy Spirit that is given to you if you believe in Jesus means you have an abundance of it. You don't have a little bit of God. You have an abundance, if we can say it this way respectfully, you have an abundance of God given to you if you believe in Jesus. An abundance of God given to you. God, the Holy Spirit, comes as a river to the person who believes in Jesus. And he's not just given generally so that there's a river out there and you have to go there and drink from it. No, he's given to you, to you as an individual. Do you see the difference? In the Old Testament, God's people had God's presence, but it, it was limited to that tabernacle that was in the middle of all their tents. It'd be like if we thought, well, God is here in this room, but he's, he's not over there in the cabin. And so if you want to come, you got to come, come there and you can drink of that river. And then you, you go back and, and he's not over there. He is over there, but he's not over there. He's saying, no, 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 no. This, this river comes to you. It's personalized. It's individual, a direct river from God to you that is called the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that a lot better? Isn't it better that right now, where we live in a modern, civilized society, we have water that comes directly to us. I mean, it would be worse, I think, if you had to take your bucket down to the local lake and bring water back for your mother to wash your face in the morning, and water back to cook your dinner at night, and water back to water your grass. You had to walk it back every day. And you're glad you have it. I'm glad we have it, but we got to walk it back. No, no, what, much better that there's this pipe that comes under the front of your house and it comes up even into your very own kitchen and it pours out often through a refrigerator thing that's even cold. I mean, that's better. God, God doesn't just bring it to your house. He brings it to your heart. 
He brings himself directly to you, and he brings himself in abundance, rivers of living water. The, the idea here is to contradict the idea that God would come in limited fashion to his people, that he would be available, but in a, in a limited kind of way. He's saying, no, there's going to be no limit to this. It's an unlimited, it's an undying river. It's a river that will never run out. It's a river you don't have to worry about. You don't have to wonder if there's enough of God for me today. He's saying, no, there's, there's an abundance. There's a river that's available to you. You can never have a thirst that that river isn't there to meet. You can never have a desire that that river isn't there to satisfy. You can never have a need that river isn't there to fulfill. You can never have a job that river isn't there to empower you for. You can never have a fear that river isn't there to comfort you for. It's an abundance of God himself come to the heart of that person who trusted in Jesus. The Spirit is given in abundance. Now, this is in keeping with what we see when we read the rest of the New Testament, where everything a Christian does is done because God the Holy Spirit is in them. And I mean everything. I would encourage you, when you're reading your Bible, I, I would first of all encourage you, notice how many times the phrase in, with, or through Christ is referenced. Because everything we have comes because we're connected to Christ. I mean everything. And sometimes we skip over it. Like, like, they have to reference Jesus a lot, I guess. You know, a copyright or something. No, no, no. It's making a point. It's making a point that everything comes through Jesus. But the other point I would want you to notice, how many times it references the Spirit of God. How many things that we know are a part of the Christian life come because of this river that is the Spirit of God? So we read, for example, in Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8, that timid disciples are going to be turned into world-changing witnesses by the Spirit of God coming upon them. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. Peter, the fearful, Peter, the coward, Peter, the afraid, stands in front of a whole crowd and preaches about Jesus, the crucified, and 3,000 people get saved. Why? There's a river. There's a river. And people go across the Mediterranean proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles and Jews and people get saved and churches get raised up and the kingdom of God advances through his people. Why? Because there's a river. There's a river in those people. And Philip goes to the Ethiopian eunuch and he hears him talking and he's not afraid. He jumps up. Do you know what you're hearing about? Let me tell you about Jesus, the crucified one. And the Ethiopian eunuch is saved and gets baptized. Why? Because there's a river. There is a river. And it's not just a river for apostles. It's a river for boys and girls and young people and old people, men and women smart and less smart, all able to receive this river and be used mightily by God. We read it in Ephesians 1 that we have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. That when we see the, the Spirit at work in our hearts, it's, it's like a down payment that we belong to heaven and we're going there one day. That we're going to see God's unveiled glory in heaven. We're going to live in his presence forever in that river. It's like a connection point. Where we say, yeah, this is where I belong. I belong to Jesus. Because no one gets that river unless they're going to be in that glorious location. So Ephesians says, look, be encouraged. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, it's just God telling you that you're going to be with him one day. We read in Romans 8 that those who had once been enemies of God 
are now able to call God Father by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers a former spiritual orphan to be able to say, God, you are my Father because I belong to Jesus. Why? Because there's a stream. Because there's a Holy Spirit enabling you to do that. We read in Galatians 5 that those who once had been in bondage to sin are now able to live in righteousness. And what does Paul call that righteousness? The fruit of the Spirit. So our inheritance, our boldness for witness, our adoption as sons and daughters of God the Father, our godliness, and, and, and more. What are, what are these things revealing? Everything in the Christian life is meant to be God showing his residence in the heart of a believer. The Christian religion, if we can call it that, is not people trying to work their way towards God and do a lot of good things in their own strength and their own power. It is a supernatural God life from beginning to end. That's true of everything. That's true when we read our Bibles. We don't just read a page. The Spirit reveals Jesus Christ to us in that page. It's true when we listen to preaching. We're not just looking at some random guy talking up there. We're listening to the Holy Spirit reveal the glory of his word. He's illuminating the scriptures to us. When we serve others, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we're not just doing the best we can with our limited abilities. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to do things for the good of his church. One person serves, another person preaches. One person administrates, another person shows mercy. Why does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit is a river in the hearts of his people, serving God and serving others. What's the point of all of this? The Spirit is given in abundance, and he's given to all ages. So young people, I want to challenge you. Are you living in the glory of having the Spirit of God in you, in your boldness, in your Bible reading, in your godliness, in your witness, in your serving? Are you, are you acting like I'm a kid, I can't do much. Are you acting like a person who has the spirit of the God who is God in you? The spirit is not limited by your age. How can God be limited by age? And if you're older, the spirit is not limited by your age either. How could God be limited by physical energy? D.L. Moody, the evangelist, said it this way, you might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And that's actually good news, because you're not even supposed to try. You're supposed to live in active conscience depend conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, on God himself coming to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what God the Spirit does. He takes all that Jesus did and all that the Father planned and he brings it to the heart of a person. He makes it tangible, present, active in the heart of a person. It means that all that God did and all that God is for us is not some distant idea in heaven that we can think about but never know. It means God comes and says, here, here it is. Here's the pipe that comes right to your heart. Here I am. It means that right now, for every person in this room who's a Christian, God is within you. God is not you. This isn't pantheism. You are not God. He doesn't get mixed up with you. 
He knows who he is and he knows who you are, but he is within you. He is within you. And if you read Paul carefully, he is particularly active within the church, the gathering of his people. This ought to distinguish every person who's a believer in Jesus, Jesus, distinguished by the Spirit of God. This is actually an even greater fulfillment of what Moses prayed when he was worried that God wasn't going to go with his people even in the middle of them when they had disobeyed. He was worried about this, and so he prayed in Exodus 33 that, that please let your presence, if your presence doesn't go with us, how? What will distinguish us from all the peoples on the earth? God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said back to God, if your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What's the difference? What, what's one way we could say? What's the difference between Christianity, a Christian, and a Muslim? What, what, what is the difference? Well, there's a lot of differences. But one difference is a Christian has God inside of them. And a Muslim does not. Do you see why it's dangerous to think about spirituality? And to think, uh, we're, we're both spiritual people. No, no, no. No. A Christian has God inside of them. God moving them, God directing them towards righteousness, God empowering them to serve, God helping them bear witness about Jesus, the only way of salvation, God reminding them that they're going to go to heaven one day when they die. A Christian has God inside of them. Buddhists might like to talk about thinking and meditating about the greater, higher realm, but no, a Christian has that higher realm, God, inside of them. A Hindu might think about elevating themselves gradually to a higher form of life, but God, the ultimate high form of life, is inside of a Christian. So no, we're not just one other way to be spiritual. We are the people of God. We should have no interest in living a kind of fake Christian life. I mean, is there anything more sad than a church kid that grows up not knowing Jesus and not having the Spirit doing the fake Christian thing and never knowing its power. They can't enjoy sin because they know it's wrong, and they can't enjoy God because they don't know Him. They can't enjoy either. Much better to be a church kid that comes to know God in Christ and has the Holy Spirit empowering them. The Holy Spirit is given in abundance. And finally, the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Jesus Christ. I just want to notice this final phrase, very important phrase. Look down at your Bibles. The Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now that's an easy, if you're doing Bible reading, that's an easy phrase just to kind of, okay, and skip over and move on. The Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Now, now John just hints at it here. But if we read the rest of the New Testament, we can see what's happening. God's presence was with his people in a particular way in the Old Testament. And obviously God is everywhere present, but we're talking about when God makes himself known to a people and active to a people. 
In the Old Testament, God was present in a particular way, but God had something more planned. God had the rivers of abundance coming right to the heart of his people planned. He wanted to live within them, not just in the middle of their camp, in the middle of their soul. He wanted to live right there with them and to empower them that they would know God in a much more personal way than those Old Testament Israelites did. He wanted to bring himself into them. And yet that could not happen unless Jesus ushered in the new covenant by dying for sinners once and for all. Apparently, that stream, that river, had a valve called the finished work of Christ. And the person who could turn that valve, there was only one. There was only one person who could turn that valve. Only one. Only one. And it's Jesus Christ. It's actually the point that John the Baptist makes earlier. He's saying, look, there's someone coming. He is so much more glorious than me. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's saying, look, the person that's coming, he's greater than me, which means he's greater than Moses and Abraham and Joshua and Joseph. He can do what none of the rest of us can do because he's the only one who has the right to open that valve called God the Spirit come to the hearts of his people. What, what this means is that the finished work of Christ and the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God, where he still exists as God and man, our mediator, opened up a new covenant with the people of God. And until that covenant was revealed and Jesus was glorified, and for John, the glory of Jesus is his death and resurrection. He's saying this, this moment where Jesus says, it is finished, it opened a valve. And only Jesus could open that valve. Nobody else could, because nobody else could die once for all for sinners and rise to glory as the perfect high priest of God's people, ushering a new covenant, the covenant that is the covenant covered by the stream of the Holy Spirit. Jesus alone can open that valve, and he did. So when we live consciously enjoying the stream that is the Holy Spirit, do you know what we're doing? We're glorifying Jesus. And when we try to act like we don't really need the Holy Spirit or have any interest in him, we're acting like it wasn't that big a deal what you did. When we try to go through the motions of Christianity, just like any other religion, and and we kind of act like, "I, I, I can live on a little bit of the Spirit. Really what we're doing is saying, it wasn't that big a deal that you opened that valve. I didn't need that much anyway. But when we are actively pursuing and hungry, Holy Spirit, give me power to serve and power to evangelize and power to see your glory in your word and power to worship and power to look forward to heaven and power to trust God as my father. When we act like we want to feel those things with the power of God within us, Really what we're doing is saying, that was a big deal when he turned that valve. And I want him to receive all the glory of seeing that flow in my heart. The Spirit isn't glorious for its own sake. It reveals Jesus as the one, the only one who can baptize in the Spirit. You know what a baptism is, right? You go under the water and you get really wet, right? Well, Jesus is the only one who can get you really wet with the Holy Spirit of God. John the Baptist said, I I can't do that. I I can take you to Jordan 
and, and you can repent and say you're going to serve God. Only Jesus can dunk you in God. On, only Jesus can do that. I, I can't do that. Only he can do that. If we act like we need just, I just need a little bit of water. Really what we're saying is it's not that big a deal what you did. We don't want to say that. With the Holy Spirit, we want to say that was a big deal. I want you to be glorified. You are glorified as the perfect and righteous Savior who died completely and paid for sinners. And now you are seated at God's right hand as my mediator. And with you seated there glorified, the valve is open. God, the Spirit, comes to his people. It's not just water out there generally that God might toss at us from time to time. No, it is God flowing himself into the heart of his people, empowering them to love him and know him and drink deeply of him. Not not just in some vague, general way, as if you could gulp water from a cloud. No, he's coming as a stream into the heart of his people. And that means wherever you go, if you are a Christian, God goes with you. If you're about to go home, but if you are a Christian, God goes with you. God, the God who is God, he goes with you. He goes with you. He is present with you by the Holy Spirit, a person, not just thoughts of you, not just thinking of you from heaven, not just vaguely reaching out and trying to help you with your life. No, he is, he is present with you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to be God present with you, to bring the presence of Christ because he's one with Christ to be with you, to have you know that the Father is with you. By his spirit, he is with you. He, God, is with you. And that's true when you go home. And it's true this next week when you have an argument with your mom and you go away and you think, ah, I shouldn't have done that. But I really don't want to humble myself right now because she was wrong too. Who's with you? God. And God can make a proud person humble. Who's with you when you go home and then you talk this week and somebody brings up that movie that's uh, not something that's maybe great to talk about. And you really think, I, I really should walk away or say, let's not talk about that, but I don't really want to do that because that's so not cool. God is with you. And God can make a timid person bold. Who's with you at night when you're afraid? You're not sure what's going to come the next day. And you don't know about your future. and You can't figure out college and high school and friends, gossip, and oh my gosh, I'm just scared. God is with you. And God comes to you in the spirit and says, God is your father. What do you have to be worried about if God is your father? And the spirit says, let, let, me, let me help you call him father right now. God can make a person who feels like an orphan feel like a child. God. you don't belong to Jesus, start believing in Jesus so that God can be with you too. I'd love to talk to you. The guys up here would love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you, pray with you that you confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And a big part of that is so that God can be with you. And if you're a believer, however young, you should go home remembering the fountain that is the best, most refreshing fountain that exists isn't just out there somewhere. If you believe in Jesus, he is right with you. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on behalf of sinners so that you yourself, your presence, by the Holy Spirit, could be with us. Lord, I pray you would make that experientially felt by every person in this room, especially the very young. Lord, I pray if there's those that have been trying to exist on a half cup of water, Lord, I pray you bring conviction to us. Let us live in the stream that is your presence given to us. And Lord, may you receive the glory. May the churches represented here, Lord, display the power of the Spirit to your glory as the one who gave the Spirit. We pray. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.